been in this in this chapter for the last probably three weeks or so. And we're going to finish it out today. Um, hopefully, I'm not going to take too much time, but I do want to go over these 10 verses as we as we finish this out. You can see it up there on the screen, too. He starts in verse 30. He says, the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. And when the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for them for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits for those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I mentioned last week how it's, it's important for us not to get caught in the, in the wave of wanting to uh, take out our revenge on those who are wicked. This is very important for us to understand. It is, it is not our responsibility to take revenge on people just because you're angry at them. Our responsibility, first and foremost, is to take refuge in him. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of God is in their hearts and their feet do not slip. Earlier in this passage, if you remember, it says that, that those who are righteous, though they stumble, they will not fall because the Lord's hand has hold of them and will steady their steps. We could have really great intentions in wanting to make sure that justice is, is taken care of. Amen? Anybody else here believes in justice? Justice. Justice is good. Right, it, it's it's purposeful. There's a standard that we have to that we need to live by, and there's things that we need to accomplish that that show the truth of of living and, and and the gathering and being able to to live in true community, and that's amazing and wonderful. But if we start to overwhelm ourselves with the deeds of the wicked, then we will tend to to end up being just like the wicked. If we overwhelm ourselves with the deeds of the wicked, then we will end up turning into the same thing as the wicked. Because we will start to take the same precautions, the same measures. We will start to enact the same things that the wicked have been enacting. Because we want them to, to be brought down. We want them to, uh, to not live the way that they have been living and, and inflict the kind of damage that they could have been doing on others as well. And there's a time and a season, there's a place. You can see where even in scripture, God, God asks for the Israelites to go and to rid a land of a specific type of group of people.
but it was in the Lord's command that they actually did those things. It was by the leading of the Lord that he said, now is the time that you can take advantage of what the, the season holds for you now. Interesting, when you look through the Old Testament, you see the journey that the Israelites went on whenever they went to take the land of Canaan. Uh, it was not vacant whenever they came to it, right? There were people still in the land. There were people who still inhabit. And it, you even look through scripture and God tells them, he says, look, I'm not going to wipe out all these people so that you can come in there first because it would actually destroy the land that you would try to inhabit. The, the fruit of the land would not be plentiful for you anymore. It would be a desolate place. It would be just like you're still walking in the wilderness because the place would be desolate. And so he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to each and every station, each and every place, and then take the land that I've promised for you. We, we have to go through a process internally at times that may not be as expedited as we want it to be in finding freedom even from different things that are afflicting our lives. The law of God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters to restore my soul. Again, the whole intention of us being able to understand that we lack nothing is first to experience the restoration that God gives us in the moments of quietness and solitude and seeking after him and meditating on what it means to live righteously by this word. He will work inside of you to a place of restoration so that whenever you do walk into the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because you're not intent on what you can only provide yourself. You know that he is with you and he is the one that actually restored your soul in the first place. And so I love that he says that the law of God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous intent on putting them to death. This is very similar to that passage in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The, the wicked desires to destroy those who are righteous. Intent on putting them to death, but the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. It doesn't say you will never be brought to trial. It doesn't say you will never experience different things that are, that are not as, as wonderful as it may seem, but it said that you will not be condemned when brought to trial. He would not allow those accusations to come against you and to remain because you've allowed the law of God to, to permeate in your heart. Your mouth actually utters wisdom. It's not corrupt. It's not seeking after, after a way to where you can claw your way out of this pit because you know that you've been restored by the one who is your shepherd. You lack nothing because you follow the good shepherd. And in the midst of that, you will find that there's freedom because you now don't have to prove yourself to other people. Your approval is found in Christ and in Christ alone. You don't have to strive to, to try to be the smartest person in the room. You just strive to be the most authentic and transparent as you can be 
in the midst of the process that you're in. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I love that he says that you will see it. He doesn't say it will be by your hand that you'll encounter the sweet vengeance that you've always wanted. It's wonderful. Grab the club. Grab the stone. Anything that you need right there. Wow. You will be glorified as the blood washes over your hands. It's going to be amazing. He doesn't give any of those things. He says, he says, as you keep your way pure and righteous, you will notice that the wicked will start to fall. Those who are wicked, they have made their own beds in the things that they do. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And so my responsibility as a believer is not so much trying to find every single wrong thing that's going on in my life and everybody else's life and just attacking it all the time. My responsibility is to live righteously, to look at scripture and see what, what Jesus actually communicates and how he lived with one another and how he confronted people when it was time and then how he kept his mouth shut in other moments yeah. where you're like, why did you say something? You could have just said it right here. That would have been amazing. It's been so great. But in his wisdom, he chose to keep his mouth shut. We mentioned many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Meekness, again, does not equal weakness. Meekness is not pass passivity. Meekness actually means that you can be wise enough to open your mouth whenever the time is right, and then you're wise enough to keep your mouth quiet when you know that it's not going to help any bit of that circumstance. Many times, some people's minds are so made up that it doesn't matter what you're going to do and how you can open your mouth. Uh, uh, there's one of my favorite, one of my favorite academics. Is, uh, his name is John Lennox. He's uh, the, the guy who's over mathematics in Oxford. Brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, a beautiful believer, too. He was raised in Northern Ireland and spent most of his life trying to combat the ideas of, is Christianity true? And is this religion something that I can continue to follow after? And he said he spent a lot of time in Russia amongst many atheists and, and spending tons and tons of time there. And he said that within every interaction, it did nothing but confirm his belief in Christ. He had a, he had a, 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 a debate with a guy named Peter Atkins, who is a, a, a well-known atheistic uh, scientist. He's a chemist. He's written many, many books, incredible books about the, the process of chemistry and, um, and, and even different aspects of, of even torch of, of creation and many different things. He's a brilliant man. But he had a, a debate with him, and Peter Atkins the entire time just continuously tried to belittle Dr. Lennox and every single thing that he would say. He just oh, well, you just must be an idiot. You just must be stupid. This is just erroneous. I can't believe that you, and he, every single thing that would come out of his mouth was like that. And I just watched just intently as, as Dr. Lennox would just, in as much peace and calmness, he would compliment Dr. Atkins for the work that he's done. He'd, he'd comment on Dr. Atkins' brilliance, and then he would offer his counterpoint with the most grace and humility that I could have possibly ever seen from anybody who has debated anybody over any topic. And I've seen him do this time and time again in different, different lectures. He's done this with uh, Richard Dawkins, who's another well-renowned well atheist. 
uh, they call them new, he's called a new atheist in their thought processes. And the same thing in the, in the big debate at Oxford when they, they went back and forth about the process of science and, and belief and God. Is God real or is he not? And all these different things. And, and, and Dawkins would, would nearly call him an idiot just in his vernacular. And, but still at the same time, Dr. Lennox, in much grace and humility, would just respond back in Richard, you're a brilliant man who wrote this book, and I love that you put this in your writings, and I learned a lot when you, when you wrote on this topic. But here's where I find a little disagreement with you. And he would just eloquently talk about the grace of God. And it astounded me because typically when you find that people are pretty irate and nearly calling you an idiot and you feel like you've done a pretty good job and, and knowing some stuff, it's pretty easy to want to respond back, well, well, you're the idiot, and you're stupid, and this is why you're a loser, and this is why you have no friends, or, you know, whatever you want to use. Call them out for whatever you feel like you can to make them feel lesser than themselves. But what Lennox did is he actually elevated them and gave them praise for the things that they've done, but then showed them why Christ is the highest of them all. In each of the debates that I've seen him communicate in, he's operated in that same type of grace with each and every person. And now anytime I get in a disagreement with someone, he, he kind of pops up in the back of my mind. It's like, am I, am I showing meekness like Dr. Lennox has shown? Because it just blew my mind every single time I watched him in any kind of debate structure or any kind of conversation was that there is so much grace and humility. And so whenever I look into this and I see Hope in the Lord and keep his way. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. What does his way look like? It's easy for us to read through this. And I mean, there's 40 verses in this chapter. You can go through and read the whole thing really quickly. Great, great job. But we can miss the entirety of what, what each and every one of these lines are saying because we skip over so much and don't sit on what it asks. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. What does his way look like? Jesus said that I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, so whenever I'm going through my life, am I thinking about keeping the way that he has? Or am I trying to just look righteous enough in front of others so that I can get my way? Because look, we can be very passionate about injustices that happen in one specific area, but we can very much so overlook something that we're just not comfortable dealing with. And so we can become very irate about one little thing over here when there's a really big problem happening in the way that we treat people. There could be a really big problem in the way that we, that we see others in different areas. Maybe it's within your, your own family home, your spouse, maybe your kids. Maybe it's within your job structure and you just can't get along with anybody. You're just mad all the time about it. And you just treat them horribly. Are we actually walking in the way that is pure, holy, righteous, and acceptable to God? Have we been transformed by the renewing of our mind? What renews our mind? Meditating on his word. Psalm 119 says that how can a young man know his way if he doesn't know the word? He doesn't keep the law in his heart. It, they even say it to the point of saying it's like it's tattooed on their heart. He said, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. 
This is so profound to me because it, it shows that there are wicked people who have a lot of great stuff. There are wicked people who are thriving in culture right now. And it could infuriate a lot of people when they look and see this person is a huge turd and they are getting everything they want in life. Nick, you just got offended that I said turd. And I pray for you to have the grace for me in the way I communicate. <laughs> but seriously, seriously, there, there are many people who they, they do things that are just absolutely absurd. But they look like they're getting every single thing that their heart has ever desired. And you start to wonder, do I need to start acting like this person in order to get what I need? Do I need to start complaining about every single thing so that hopefully this squeaky wheel can get what they want now too? But he says this, he says, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxurious, sorry, a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. It was not by this writer's hand that that, that, that tree fell down. It was not by an army they sent through to go chop it up and get rid of him. He said, I, look, I even looked for this dude. Where is this man who had all the things? Couldn't find him. He was gone. You see, when we live our lives righteously, then we won't be so concerned about everyone else who's around to the point to where we're overwhelmed and then now we're super frustrated and now our demeanor echoes that of frustration. That's not being a peacemaker when we go into different places. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. A peacemaker, again, I will hammer this over and over and over again, a peacemaker is someone who is like a hostage negotiator. They can go into, into tumultuous circumstances and they can calm down everything that's going on and they can find the resolution. That's being a child of God. It's not tearing both sides down and saying, you're an idiot and you're stupid and you need to die and then you need to go to hell and you need to do that. It's like, there's so much that's happening in that moment to where you're just adding to the escalated mentalities that are in that place. Yeah. Actually, what we could do is we could come in and become peacemakers and call both sides to repentance and to honor one another. And when you can find restoration between two parties, you can then see that there's the heart of God in the midst of that. Because Jesus took what was chaotic and sinful nature. He took what was chaotic in the, in the man who was at the Gadarenes in the tomb over there, cutting himself. It was full of legion of demons, and it was crazy. Took that chaotic moment, and everyone in the town was terrified of this dude. He was popping off all of his, his bindings and his chains and all these things. This guy was just completely out of his mind. And Jesus took that chaos and he turned it into peace. Set that man back into the town. He didn't say, come and follow me. He wanted to follow him. Jesus said, no, you go back into the town and you let everybody else know what has happened in your life. Turn him into evangelist. He took what was chaotic and turned it into something that was much more peaceful. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I was sitting at my house the other day, and uh, I had my computer on my lap, and uh, one of my buddies was at the house, and we were just hanging out, and Lyrica came sprinting around the corner. Jumped down. We have our, uh, our living room is, is kind of uh, inset a little bit. It's sunken. There you go. Not, not inset. Sunken. It's a sunken living room. And so there's a step there that you have to get down and get up if you want to get in or get out of the living room. And so she steps down, 
real quickly. And then she comes up to me and she goes, dad, 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 dad. Yes, what do you want, Lyrica? I'm going to see mom. I go, well, go see mom. What are you doing? <laughs> so jumps up, takes off. She goes back and sees, sees Danielle. My buddy and I were sitting there. He goes, dude, she is moving so quick up that step. Like, she is flying now. Yeah, I, like, I started thinking about it more. I'm like, yeah, she moved really well. Uh, just from even looking back whenever she was super little, we first moved into that house. It's like the process of getting up there. It's like she had to do an army roll and crawl around and, like, dive out sometimes to try to get over top of that step. Just to, just to get over one little step that you just very easily step over. And I started thinking about it a little bit more. I was like, you know what? We didn't have to train her consistently. And like, okay, you ready? We're going to do our morning exercises. We got to squat a bunch because you got to get those legs prepped so you can get up that step, okay? We got to do a lot of these. This is very important. Okay, did you stretch now? Okay, now let's go. Let's add some weights now. Let's get it. Let's go for it. You don't have to do any of that with her in order for her to get up the step. You know what she had to do? She had to just practice going up the step a little bit more, a little bit more little bit more sooner or later she didn't have to like roll over the step sooner or later she was able to grab on the side of the wall hike one of those little chunky legs up and then get the other one wobbling up and then bam there she goes and now she's able to like fly up and down those things and this is the same process that we go through in our walk with christ so many times we think that in in certain infancy stages of of our growth with him that Man, I should be flying up the step and just taking off, and I'm able to just go crazy. Like, you don't have any grace for yourself in this process. You look at other people, and, man, some of them don't even know Jesus, and you're, you're pushing against them as if they should be, like, the har- most hardcore theologian, like, teaching seminary classes right now or something. It's like they, they don't understand the grace of God in the way that we do, but yet we are so, so irate with the way that they're doing things that we have no grace. The Lord is is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. And so if I take this mentality into everything that I do, then that means that when somebody else lacks or they show that they're lacking, then I just need to introduce them to the good shepherd. I need to introduce them to the same good shepherd that I found that I know that I lack nothing in him. So that surely his goodness and mercy will follow me because I'm in his house. I am his dwelling place now. And if I treat my life like he is, like I'm his dwelling place, if I treat my mentality, my thoughts, then then I'll start to take my thoughts captive because I know that I don't want to taint what is of the Lord's. I don't want to take away from the purity of what it means to follow after him in his way. Because it's his way that provided me with salvation. It was not what I could do for myself. I could get all the riches in the world, but still lose my soul. And what's, what's the profit in that? Nothing. But when I have the good shepherd, when I look through those things, then I'm not, I'm not as perturbed by other people in the sense that I'm trying to destroy them now. I actually want to see them receive the, the, the grace that I've been given. That doesn't mean that we're passive. That doesn't mean that we don't stand for things that are true and righteous. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't, don't mishear me in this message. Because the Lord will lead certain people to do things that will, that will cause a ruckus in the ways of the wicked. 
But this doesn't mean that we demonize every single person for what they've done. God's grace abounds much more than any sin that a, that a person could commit. It's very easy to be like, wow, that's, that's an amazing testimony when you listen to someone's story after they've gone through a lot of stuff. It's very easy to be like, all right, cool. You, we can hang out together. We can go have lunch because now you've, you have this great testimony. And it's awesome. I can now give God praise for that. But when someone's at the beginning of that process, when someone's in the, in the thick of it, are we that gracious with them still? Or does that uncomfortable situation cause us to push those away at way more than an arm's distance? If I truly believe that he is the good shepherd and that I lack nothing in him, and then if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that real place between Jerusalem and Jericho, if I truly believe that he will be with me in those moments, that the correction is actually comforting and it's not pushing me away from him and realize that he placed me at the table with my enemies so that I can drink from the cup that will also run over because he provides more than enough so that they can now drink from the cup as well. Then I will see consistently that his goodness and mercy has followed me. His goodness and mercy was with me in the valley. It was with me whenever I was by the still waters. It was with me whenever I was in the green pastures. It was with me as I was corrected. It was with me whenever I was in the, at the table with my enemies. It was with me when I felt the, the anointing on my head running over. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The good shepherd is the good place of refuge. Have we found our refuge in him or have we found it in the ancient practice of complaining that the Israelites practice many, many times? I love what I love what uh, happened in when David took reign. I've shared this story before, but you find this in scripture where for 33 years, what David did when he first took over for the nation is that he employed, you find this in uh, the book of Second Chronicles, I believe, where he employed thankers and praisers to go all throughout the camp, all throughout the nation. And these thankers and praisers taught the nation of Israel who's most known for complaining out of almost anything else next to their idolatry. <laughs> The most known for those things, he employed these thankers and praisers to teach the nation how to be thankful. How to change their thought process from wake up, complain, eat, complain, go eat some more, complain, talk to the family, and the conversation is complaining. Going from that nature to being thankful, transformed the nation to the point that for 33 years, no enemy could breach their walls, the gates of the city, for 33 years. Do you know what caused a, a riff in that? When David found Bathsheba, he found lack in what he had and desired after something that was someone else's. 
It may not have been a verbal complaint, but it was an actionable complaint. Thankfulness does not allow for people on the outside to penetrate your gates. If you can have a thankful heart, if I can wake up being thankful for everything that God has given me, if I could wake up and then realize the goodness that God has given me throughout my life, that even though there may be things circumstantially, circum being the, the circle around me, the stance in the place that I'm at right now, my circumstance may not be the most ideal because I'm surrounded by different things. However, what he's done in me and for me is a reason for me to be thankful. We're entering the season this week of Thanksgiving, and you're like, I was hoping you were going to say something about Thanksgiving because you haven't said a word about Thanksgiving yet. We're entering the season of, of thankfulness, and, and I love that we can be thankful for everything that's happened within our country, for the place that we're in right now, that we have the freedom to do these things. However, if this only is a season, then we will enter a place of consistent chaos every single year as we're only thankful for a week or a day but you will find that your gates are breached consistently in your life. Same thing with church. You could come to church on a Sunday morning, feel some goosebumps and some doodads. You're like, wow, this is great. That was a great service. I was really feeling it. That was awesome. And then you go back to the rest of your week, and it is horrible. Your mouth is foul. The way that you treat others is terrible. The way that, that we treat our kids is just so, so poor. The way that we treat our friends is just abhorrent. The things that we look at online, it just doesn't represent the truth of the gospel. We consistently have this ideology of I'm lacking, so I need to push for something else. But I shall not want when I know the good shepherd. I lack nothing when I know the good shepherd. And so if I take that approach, then that means that through the remaining days of the week, I can also live as if that is a true reality. Because in him it is. But it's when we lose sight of the good shepherd is when we get led astray. That's when we get brought into a place of not being protected or seeming like we're protected in those moments. We feel the correction of that rod, that staff brings me back in, but we start to despise correction because it makes me feel uncomfortable. We start to push away from the things that don't, don't seem to give me a conviction for truth because it doesn't make me feel good or it doesn't give me that, that quick hit of satisfaction. Maybe you're not a drug addict, but you still have an addiction because you're seeking after things that consistently fills your flesh. But it brings detrimentation to your spirit. So you're in unrest because you know that the good shepherd is there, but you refuse to follow him. John 10, he says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Can't tell you how many times in my life that I know that I've felt the unrest in my heart. I felt the, the uneasiness of just the things that's been going on. And I just continued to seek after things that satisfied or gratified my flesh. Because it was just something that gave me a moment of satisfaction. Instead of sitting in the midst of the discomfort and realizing, God, there is something that I am yearning for that is outside of you. And so why am I feeling like there's lack when in you there's none? I can't tell you how this has been transforming my thought process. Just understanding that I lack nothing in you. So when I'm feeling like I'm lacking something, then what is going on internally that is drawing me away from your gaze? 
drawing me away from your heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. John 15, I am the vine, grafted into the vine, to the point where you cannot see where I begin and you end. does not mean that I'm God, but it means that God lives here. And if he lives here, then I want to be an ambassador of his kingdom. An ambassador brings that culture and that nature into a place that's foreign and introduces them to the reality of that kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whether it's raining or the sun is shining, he is still my shepherd. There will be wicked until the end of the end of time. When Jesus returns, there's gonna be wicked people, wicked things. I, I cannot correct all the wickedness in the world. What I can do is I can live a life of righteousness. What I can do is I can live with the reality that the Lord is my shepherd. And as people approach me to find out what the heck is different about you or what's going on with you, it's like, it's not me, bro. It can't be me because I can't be your Jesus. But I can introduce you to my shepherd because he's the reason why I have the, the overflowing nature of, of not lacking anything. So in the season of Thanksgiving, could we be thankful, not just on Sunday, not just on Thursday, not just as you go and have your multiple Thanksgiving meals, as some of you guys will have an abundance of those, but let's have a thankful heart for our good shepherd every single day, every morning that we wake up, and every night as we lay our head down, that he is my good shepherd, and so I lack nothing. Jesus, thank you that you gave us a great example when you came down and lived and lived on earth as, as a man, that you showed us what it was like to, to go from one place to another, to, to live a life that was fully submitted to God, to not be held down by just a religious system, but to live completely in submission to the good shepherd, to the father. So God, convict us in the times that we find ourselves in heavy complaining. Give us grace in the times that we've not been patient. Give us grace in the times that we've lashed out at other people and our immediate sorry for complaining consistently about how things go and we thank you that you listen still yet to our prayers Lord when we find ourselves opening our mouths to get ready to complain let us first have a thankful heart so that we can pivot our language instead of 
complaining about what people are doing, that it would be a prayer on how we can then reach them so that they can see the error of their ways. And Lord, in the times that, that we have missed steps, Lord, just convict us of those things so that we can go and we can make those things right. Let us not be too prideful to where we can't say I'm sorry and apologize for not being where we need to be, not saying what we need to say, and not representing you in the way that we need to represent you. Thank you that you did not make us the Savior, but you chose to give us the access to salvation through you in relationship. And so, Lord, we're sorry for just doing religious activity and not actually having true relationship with you. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to celebrate seasonally thankfulness, emphasizing thankfulness in our community. So we thank you for family. We thank you for friends. We thank you for fun activities. We thank you for great food. We thank you for jobs. We thank you for schools. We thank you that we get to serve you gave us freedom from the captivity of sin. We honor you, Jesus, and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. Well, we love you guys. Uh, again, feel free to go and grab some food. I guess we're going out the double doors. You'll go around, and uh, you can grab yourself a plate, sit down right by somebody. We'd love to hang out and chat. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. If we don't see you before next Sunday. <laughs>